Hey everybody, welcome to a true crime paranormal pop-up. I'm Christy Brower and I am your host tonight. So as is my pretty regular uh, schedule, habit, whatever you want to call it, I usually show up here pretty late on a Saturday evening to tell you some kind of true crime story. And that is what I am here to do tonight. I want to talk to you about Joachim Kroll. Joachim Kroll was a German serial killer. He, well, he was a serial killer, necrophiliac, and cannibal, actually. And he was active from 1955 to 1976. I want to show you a picture of him. This is um, him when he was younger, I think when he was first caught, and then older when he was like on trial and in prison. So that's Joaquim, if you just kind of take a look at him. He's a pretty um, normal-looking guy. I don't know what the words are. He's, he he would just sort of blend in in a crowd, wouldn't you say? And that was one of the things that made him seriously one of the luckiest serial killers I have ever read about. Uh, would you ever go in depth about the Native American residential schools all around the U.S. and Canada? We have done, hi Brooke, hi Brooke, and thank you very much for being here. Um, we've actually done several episodes on them, including the uh, Lamanite education program done by the Mormon Church here in the U.S. So if you go back and look through our uh, our um, our videos on YouTube, or you can, if you're listening on a podcast, you can also go find this on any of our podcast streams. Maybe what I'll do is I'll make a uh, playlist with all of those so that you can see, because we have covered quite a few of them and we'll continue to as they, you know, as more things are, um, you know, uncovered. Oh, no worries at all. No worries. I'm happy to share what we've already done. So yeah, just kind of scroll back through your, I know you're here on uh, YouTube with us. So Go back and scroll back through. You'll see we've actually covered a bunch of them, and we're going to continue to. That is part of our commitment um, as far as the missing and murdered Indigenous women and just um, covering crime against Indigenous people in particularly the U.S. and Canada. That's a real commitment of ours this whole year and probably just all forever. So thank you for that question. So let's get to Joaquim Kroll, because Joaquim Kroll, I don't know, this dude he got away with a whole lot for a really long time. And the main reason that he did is because he was just a very unassuming average guy that just sort of blended in. And, and it's an interesting skill to have for someone who is also, who is a serial killer, a necrophiliac and a cannibal to be able to just blend in like Joaquin did. He didn't have there weren't a lot of people suspecting him there at the end. I'll tell you there were, but for a long time, just didn't really register what kind of a monster he was. So he was from Germany. Um, he was the youngest of eight children. 
Uh, his dad was a prisoner of war in World War II. He started, let's see, he was born um, on the 17th of April in 1933. So he started killing people in 1955. So he was only 22 when he started uh, committing murders. He worked as a toilet attendant and he worked for um, some like factories and things like that. And he just lived a pretty quiet, unassuming life. He also spread his kills out by quite a bit. He did not kill someone even every year. Well, sometimes he did, but you know, he didn't, sometimes he would go several years in between. And there were other serial killers at work um, in Germany in West Germany around the time that he was active and he just sort of took advantage of that. So what he preferred to do was to blitz attack someone from behind, strangle them, all women, except for one man, and I'll tell you about him, women and young girls. He would strangle them and kill them, then sexually assault their bodies. And he was known to cut off parts of their bodies to um he actually told the police that he did this to save on groceries that he was just sort of adding to the meat in his freezer yuck yikes but he was kind of a you know he was probably kind of an odd guy but he was just just kind of quiet and people did not really pay a lot of attention to him so his first murder was a 19-year-old woman named uh, Ermgard Strell. And trust me, I'm going to say all these German names in my Idaho accent, and it's going to be wrong. I apologize. Um, he did like to disembowel often as well, unfortunately. Uh, so Ermgard was stabbed. So this was before he really got into strangling. This was his first murder he stabbed her disemboweled her and then her body was found in a barn so that was in february of 1955 so in 1956 erica Schuletter was 12 she was raped and strangled and this becomes kind of his pattern uh in 1959 so he goes three years Clara Frieda Tesmer, 24, um, was murdered um, in the meadows of the Rhine near Rheinhausen. So this is the first of the collateral damage of Kroll that we have to really consider. And that is that a mechanic named Heinrich Ocht was straight was arrested for this murder for Clara and he hanged himself in jail. He was innocent. Okay, this is just the beginning. So it, also in 1959, he killed Manuela Knott. She was 16, raped and strangled um, in the city park of Essen. And there were uh, pieces of her body removed, which we know later why that was because he was cannibalizing his victims. But, you know, he went three years. So then in 1959, 
or no, sorry, then in 1962, so again, three years he goes, Petra Gisa, 13, she was raped and strangled. Um, Vincenz Kuhn was arrested and convicted, okay? Collateral damage victim number two, he's convicted of this crime. Also in 1962, Monica Taffel, 12, uh, she was killed in Walsam and she had slices of flesh removed. Walter Quicker was arrested for this crime. Uh, he was later released, but a lot of people in his community believed that he did it. And he was basically driven to suicide by his neighbors. So by this happened in June, by October, he had killed himself. So collateral damage victim number three. On in September of 1962, so he was pretty active in 1962. This is his third murder bar in 1962. Barbara Bruder, uh, 12, she was abducted in Burshide and her body was never found. We still don't know what happened to her. He admitted to these murders, but he didn't give a lot of detail. So then in 1965, so he goes three years again. And this is his only male victim. So Herman Schmitz was 25 and his girlfriend, Marion Bean, were attacked as they sat in their car in a lover's lane in Duisburg, Grobenbaum. Uh, Herman was Kroll's only main, ma male victim and he died. Uh, but Bean actually escaped and survived. The only person who did escape him, as far as we know. Then in September of 1966, we have Ursula Rowling. She was 20. She was strangled in uh, Forsterburg, Forster Bush Park near Marl. Um, her boyfriend, Adolf Schickel, committed suicide after he began. He was falsely accused of this crime. So what is that? Four collateral damage victims. Um, also in 1966, in December, Ilona Hark, age five, was raped and drowned in a ditch in, in Wuppertal. Uh, that was a very terrible, terrible one. Uh, sometimes he did hit very small children, which was, you know, tells you how depraved this guy was. But I mean, we're up to 1966, and he, so he's already been killing for 11 years has not been suspected, has not been arrested. Uh, nobody's um, even considering him at this point. So then in July of 1969, so he goes three years again, Maria Hetgen, 61, raped and strangled in Hukasvagen. Now that's a weird one because she's definitely his oldest victim and most of his victims were quite young young girls. So that was a strange one. Uh, then in 1970, Juta Ron, 13, she was strangled walking home from a train station. Peter Shea was arrested and eventually released, but he confessed to the crime in 1976 after he was hounded by his neighbors who believed he had done it. And so he finally just gave in and said he did, even though he didn't. So what is that collateral damage number six? 
Then on in May 1976, Karen Topfer, 10, was raped and strangled in Verda. And then this last one, and this is a horrible one, and it is what got him caught. Also in 1976, Marion Ketter, she was four. Um, when they arrested him, he was cooking parts of her body. But guys, he had been at this for 21 years by this time before anybody figured it out. And you know why they figured it out? Because his plumbing backed up in the building he was living in. I don't know if you know this, but that's actually happened with several other serial killers who start to get real sloppy and they start putting stuff down the drains where they live. Uh, Dennis Nielsen did that. Yeah. So here's what happened. Police were going from house to house looking for Marion Ketter because she was missing. And a neighbor who lived in Kroll's building told the police that um, the waste pipe, so I think that means like the, the sewer um, in his building was blocked up. He asked his neighbor who was Joaquin Kroll uh, what he knew, if he knew it was blocking up the pipe and Kroll had said guts. And they literally went into his apartment and they found Marion Ketter. Uh, her body was cut up. There were parts in the refrigerator. There was some cooking in, the, in a pan on the stove. And her entrails were found stuck in the waste pipe when he was arrested. So he uh, admitted killing her, Marion Ketter. And he gave details to the police of 13 other murders and one attempted murder, which was probably uh, Veen, who, um, Marion Veen, because she escaped. Um, although he, you know, commit, he basically said he committed 14 murders, they've only ever been able to claim or prove eight of them. So, he told police that he would slice portions of flesh from his victims to cook and eat them. And he said that he did that to save on his grocery bills. Here's the other weird thing about Kroll. He believed that once he was in custody, there was going to be an operation on his brain that would cure him of all of his homicidal urges. Hey, Hydro, I'm just talking about Joachim Kroll. He was a serial killer in Germany from 1955 to 1976. But he believed that the police would take him for this surgery that would fix his brain and he would no longer be homicidal. And then he would just be released because he was cured. Super weird belief that the police kind of thought maybe he... Uh, was maybe a little slow in his thinking that he had believed this. But I'm not sure how much he actually believed it, because if he thought that were true, wouldn't he have sought that treatment prior to this? And he was active as a serial killer in West Germany for 21 years. So you'd think if he really just wanted to be cured of his homicidal urges, he'd go ask for the, sur 
the surgery, whatever it was, I wonder if he thought they would give him a lobotomy because this was, he, you know, he started killing in the fifties. And so, you know, fifties through early seven, mid seventies. So I wonder if he considered it a lobotomy. I never saw that term used, but I suspect that's what he thought. Um, instead of, you know, getting the magical uh, surgery and being released, he was charged with eight murders and one attempted murder. And in April of 1982, he was convicted on all counts and he was given a life sentence. And he died of a heart attack in prison in 1991. So he never, he didn't get a whole lot of consequence here. He was in prison less than 10 years before he died. But what a strange belief that there would be a surgery that he could get that would just, you know, cure him of this. Also, to consider how many men either went to prison for his crimes or took their own lives to avoid going to prison for his crimes. Holy cow. And he sat back and watched all that happen for more than 20 years. So you can't tell me he wasn't a psychopath. But he was flying low under the radar. He knew how to keep his behavior away from people. And I'm sure people thought he was weird. You know, I'm sure people thought he was an odd guy. But it seems like he just kept to himself. Yeah, had a lot of strange beliefs. He, he definitely did. He definitely did. But to, to fly under the radar for that long and for that many other people to be accused and him never to be accused is crazy to me. I hope, I hope, fingers crossed, that we're better at identifying murderers, that we're better at ident identifying serial killers now than we used to be. I think we are, you know, you see a lot of the cases that we cover of serial killers that were active between like the 50s and the 80s. And it was like after that, forensics started getting better. Um, you know, law enforcement started talking to each other, stuff like that really, you know, made it better, um, has made it better as far as being able to find these guys quicker. But it's so scary to me to think that a guy could be doing things like that, living in his community and, and nobody, him not get caught for that long. So I've, I've seen other um, serial killers that get real lucky as far as other people getting blamed, but I have never seen, and I don't know what that says about the prison system in West Germany during that time, um, so many people who were suspected who took their own lives to, because that was better than going to trial in prison. So crazy, you guys. Very interesting. So this is my pop-up for tonight. I just wanted to drop in and share this case. I found it interesting. I hope that you do too. And we will be back tomorrow. Well, you know, Sunday night, Monday with our first case of the week and all of our other cases. So I appreciate those of you that joined me live in the chat and those of you that are joining me after the fact on video and in the podcast streams. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to suggest a case for us, you can do that by going to truecrimeparanormalpodcast.com 
scroll down to the bottom of the page and there's a form to fill out to suggest a case. We love your suggestions. We try to uh, do as many of them as we can. Please send us cold cases. That's what we prefer. Uh, we don't, uh, you know, solved cases, we do present some of them, but we really like to, to do a read on um, unsolved cold cases. So if you've got something you've always wondered about, send it on over. So thanks for being here tonight, you guys. You know it. I'm Christy Brower with True Crime Paranormal. Thanks for being here. Thank you.